Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was in Exodus chapter 21. I was talking about two circumstances that are described here in Exodus chapter 21. And, of course, the primary reason why I addressed these passages in Exodus chapter 21 was to show you that a man is not a slave to his wife and a wife is not a slave to her husband. This is a very important principle, and then, of course, there are a few other things that we can see from these passages, but the first and foremost thing that I want you to understand is that marriage is not slavery, not according to the law of God, not according to the law that God established. When he set the people free from Egypt, when he set the Israelites free in order to establish the Israelite nation, according to the law, according to the law that he presented through Moses, he did not set them free from one form of slavery to then put them into another form of slavery. Now, I understand that in some ways, in today's relationships, mainly because of the way that the government has structured the legal system and structured laws in order to punish people for certain things, we could see a form of slavery in existence here when it comes to marriage, and I will talk about that later. So again, I'd like to repeat the fact that a man was not a slave to his wife, and a wife was not a slave to her husband. Now again, in Exodus chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, this is the first example that I presented in the previous program. It says, Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. In verse 2, again, at the end of verse 2, he says, and pay nothing. This is a statement that says that the man is no longer a slave. He is not a slave. His master does not have to be compensated for his absence, for the absence of the slave. If the slave leaves because he wants to be free, he is no longer a slave. And to say that there is no payment required is the way that God says this person is not a slave. This is a very important thing to understand because as you continue to read in Exodus chapter 21 and go to the next example, in verse 11 he says, And if he does not do these three for her, referring to the three items in verse 10, then she shall go out free without paying money. Again, a statement to declare that the wife is not a slave to her husband, just as the man who was described in the previous verses is no longer a slave to the other person who he subjected himself to voluntarily. 
So I want you to see this. This is very critical to understand this, that slavery is a very real thing. Slavery was permitted, it was allowed, it was honored in the scriptures on a number of occasions. But when it comes to marriage, there is no slavery. There is no slavery at all. And one of the indicators, this is a primary indicator to show that a person is not a slave to another person, is in the event they want to be free, they can be free and they are not required to provide any compensation at all to their spouse. Now, I understand that in various societies throughout history, to include the one that exists in the place where this recording is taking place right now, if a man wants to leave his wife, there are many circumstances where he will be required to pay his wife for various reasons, for whatever reason. And because of that, I want you to understand that he is a slave. So, of course, you fellows who have heard me speak about this, you might have wondered, am I a slave to my wife? Because the law, the government, the authorities who have the ability to enforce payment to my wife in the event that I want to leave her, if that's the case, then am I a slave? Well, according to the definition that I have just described in the law of Moses, I will say, yes, Technically, you are, if you are a man in this society and you are married, you are considered to be a slave. And is your wife considered to be a slave? Probably not. So we do have a distortion that exists that prevents us. This prevents us from having a marriage that is defined by the scriptures because we have a legal system that will not permit us to have that type of a marriage. And some people would say that that situation is good or that situation is bad. Try not to be distracted by all the consequences. Please just try to consider for now that if God established marriage in this way in the law, do you suppose that he made a mistake in doing so? In other words, you might see some consequences. However, God may have considered those consequences to be acceptable for other reasons, that there may be other circumstances that might evolve in the event that a man is not a slave to his wife and that this can be acceptable. Let me give you a simple example. If a man is not a slave to his wife, then this can change a lot concerning how a society may establish marriages. For example, this may significantly impact the decision of a woman in agreeing to be the wife of a man because she would know in advance that if he wanted to divorce her, he would not have to compensate her in the future. If this is understood up front, if this is understood before she agrees to marry him, then she might be a little bit more selective about the man that she marries. This is a side effect of that kind of a model, of that kind of a decision process, that she would be at risk, and because of that, she would have to be very careful about who she should marry. And the husband, likewise, would have to find some way in order to demonstrate that he would be a good husband. He would have to have a reasonable reputation. He would have to have a position in society that would be considered to be respectable. I mean, there are enormous consequences that would result 
in the sense that women would have to be more selective about who they chose as a husband. Husbands would also have to perhaps become a little bit more honorable than they would have to otherwise in order to get a woman to agree to be his wife because of the risks that she would be facing. So I understand that there might be enormous risks and consequences, but don't forget the other things that may occur in the social structure in the event that what God said should be implemented is actually implemented. So I wanted to take some time to review again these scriptures in that context because the subject of slavery is a very serious one. The subject of slavery, especially as it relates to marriage, will result in serious consequences concerning the relationship that exists between two people. That in the event, for example, that a man is actually a slave of his wife through the enforcement power of the government that would require him to pay her in the event that he decides to leave her, this can create distortions that we may not necessarily recognize or be willing to admit. If a man is a slave of his wife and a wife is not a slave of her husband, and of course I will speak about the issues related to women believing that they are slaves to their husband in just a minute, please don't get distracted to the point that you don't pay attention to what I'm going to say right now. If a man is a slave to his wife, then will she treat him as if he is a slave? Will she have the freedom and the liberty to abuse him verbally or relationally? Will she treat him in a different way than she would treat him otherwise if she has the ability to punish him throughout his entire life, perhaps? Punish him severely in the event that he doesn't behave as the slave that he is if she has the power to be able to do that through the enforcement power of the state then would she relate to him in a way that would be inappropriate? Would she do that? She doesn't have to officially declare that he is a slave, but because of the way they live, there may be a distortion in the relationship that might start to look like that. This certainly is not required, but regardless of what people say or how people describe the relationship that exists between a husband and a wife, If the law is structured that a man is a slave, then these distortions may begin to surface even though they are unsaid, even though they are unspoken, they are unacknowledged. These distortions may still exist. Now, as I said previously, women sometimes may feel that they are a slave because, for example, they might do work around the house or they might do things and yet they receive no compensation. Well, that technically is not the description of slavery that we have in the scriptures. Working for no compensation is not slavery. Slavery is in the event that you are forced to work, forced to work, and you do not have the freedom to leave the situation that you are in. That is a form of slavery. A woman can easily depart from her husband, In the previous program, I gave an example in Exodus chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, where certainly the circumstances could be declared that a woman would like to leave her husband. She can do so according to the law. She is free to do so. And these circumstances do not require her to stay in the marriage 
If the husband decides to provide her with those needs, he cannot declare before the law or before the authorities that he did so, and she doesn't have the right to leave the relationship because she can just simply declare, well, he's not fulfilling my marital desires, you know, my marriage rights, my intimacy needs that I truly have. According to Exodus chapter 21 verse 11, that is a legitimate reason. In other words, the woman truly is free to leave any time she wants. And if she is doing things that her husband benefits from, and yet she does not feel that she is receiving adequate compensation, she has the freedom to go. You have the freedom to go. You have the freedom, even, not to do those things. You can just simply not help your husband. You can just simply not help yourself. You can just do nothing. If you want to live that way, you can. And certainly there might be some serious relational consequences that will probably lead to a divorce, but that's still not a description of slavery. The closest that you could probably come to to suggest that you're not receiving adequate compensation so that you're a slave is to put yourself in the position of an employee. That is a better description. You declare at that point that you are no longer a wife or a husband, respectively. Instead, you declare that your relationship with this other person is an employee and employer relationship. That it isn't a marriage where two people are working together to build a life together, where both people experience the benefits or the consequences of what one person does or does not do, that this is not the kind of relationship you have. You have an employer and an employee type of relationship. And again, if that's the case, if you feel that you are not adequately compensated for the labor that you perform, then go find yourself another employer. Now, you might think, my goodness, that's like saying, go find yourself another husband or go find yourself another wife. Well, folks, if that is how you perceive your situation, if that's what you call slavery, then that's what you really have. You don't have a form of slavery. You have an employer and go find another one. If that's how you want to look at the situation, there is a distinct difference, a distinct difference between being an underpaid employee and being a spouse who is not enjoying the benefits of your spouse's labor, that you instead are trying to claim ownership or possession of your spouse's labor. Now, listen, if you're a man, if you're a husband, you can do the same thing. You can just simply say, listen, you know, I'm just going to decide not to work. I'm just not going to go to work. I'm not going to work under these conditions, under these circumstances. If you are a husband and you go to an employer and he does not compensate you for the work that you perform, he instead maybe in that context takes money from you that you earned from him. What's the difference between your employer demanding or taking part of what you were to receive as income for your labor? What's the difference between that and then going home and somebody else? takes or demands that you give them of your labor. If this is your circumstance, then you can just simply not work. You can just simply not live that way. You have the freedom. You are not a slave. Now, of course, will there be some consequences to that? I'm sure there will be. Don't make a decision like that or consider a position like that. 
without seriously considering the consequences. I'm confident that there will be some dramatic consequences. But to declare yourself to be a slave under that description, that's not right. That's invalid. You are probably a slave in another circumstance with another definition, but not that one. So marriage is not a justification to look at your spouse and declare them to be your slave. It is not a justification to treat your spouse as a slave. Now, I understand that the scriptures do say a lot about marriage and that in other ways we are a slave to our spouse. We are a servant to our spouse. Certainly, marriage can be described as a living experience of two people serving one another. And in many ways, that service can be as a slave. That I understand, and I certainly would have a lot to say about that if this program was about marriage, but it's not. This program is about divorce and remarriage, and so please don't consider what I am saying out of context. In the context of divorce, a husband is free of his wife, a wife is free of her husband. So if they are going to be married, they are going to be married because they want to be. That's why. A husband should be married to his wife and a wife should be married to her husband because they want to be married. Don't you want your spouse to be with you because they want to be with you? Do you want someone in your life as your spouse because they have to be? Because they're a slave? Is that what you really want? What kind of a person are you to expect another to be in your life as your personal slave? You don't want a marriage. You want to be the master and you want others around you to be your slaves. That is not a marriage. Under those conditions, as far as I can tell, a marriage does not exist. And there will be consequences to the non-existent marriage that you pretend to have. Now, again, going back to Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, there are a couple of other things that I want to point out. The first thing that I'd like to point out is that when the divorce was required by God, God required that a divorce occur, there was no sin involved. It's very important to see this. There was no sin involved in the divorce that God declared. The man who was the servant of another man's household did not commit sin by leaving, He did not commit sin as a consequence of his leaving or as a motivator that would cause his departure. There was no sin that put him in the position of being a slave. There is no indication of this in these verses at all. And there is no sin that is described that results in the divorce between him and the wife. No sin is described. It doesn't say anything about the wife committing a sin. It doesn't say anything about the master committing a sin. No one committed sin. There is no sin here at all. In this description in Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, the divorce is required by God in a circumstance where there is no existence of sin. Now, there are enormous consequences to someone reading Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4 and seeing this. I understand there are enormous 
consequences. But regardless of those consequences, pay attention to the verses at hand. Don't ignore the verses at hand. Don't invoke the holy but of yeah, but. Don't say that. See it for what it is. And acknowledge that under this circumstance, God would require a divorce take place, even though no sin is declared. Now, if you continue to read down to verses 10 and 11, the woman can leave her husband in the event that he fails to provide her with food and clothing and marital rights that she has a right to in terms of relational intimacy. But does he commit a sin? Let me ask you this. Does he commit a sin if he fails to provide her with the marital intimacy that she desires? Does that mean that he has sinned? I mean, you could probably build a case for the fact that he didn't provide her with food and clothing. You may be able to build a case for that. You know, go into the New Testament and say that if a man fails to provide his family with the necessities of life, then he is worse than an unbeliever. We could probably spend some time looking at this verse from that point of view. I understand that, but that's not the purpose of this. So let's focus on the other one, because the other one can annul all of those conversations that we might be able to consider that would result from what I just described. The third one can annul all of that just by considering the fact that a man may not please his wife as she would want him to please her. And it may not be intentional. He may want to. He may have the desire to do so, but for whatever reason, he's incapable of doing so, even though he wants to. Does that mean that he has committed sin? Of course not. That doesn't mean that he has sinned. She can leave him. She can divorce him. And God does not require this divorce to occur or be defended or be justified on the basis of a sin being committed, not on the basis of sin. Do you see this? It's very important to see this if you're going to understand how God perceives the subject of divorce. Now, I understand that For the most part, when it comes to theologues, you know, professionals who are theologians, when it comes to people who study theology and study the scriptures, who assert themselves as being people in positions of authority, when it comes to people like that, people are so preoccupied with trying to identify the sin when it comes to divorce that it is impossible, it will be impossible for a person to actually consider circumstances like this circumstances like this where no sin is required to be identified and a divorce is permitted. A divorce is required in one situation and it's permitted in another. It's permitted in the sense that a woman does not have to leave her husband. You know, if her husband is not able to fulfill her desires in terms of her marital rights, if she is okay with the fact that he's incapable of doing that and she wants to stay married to him, she can do that. She is not obligated, she is not required by God to divorce her husband as God required a husband to divorce his wife in Exodus chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. That doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist here at all. But when it comes to religion that people see today, People are consumed, absolutely consumed, with trying to identify the approved sin that somebody may commit or may not have committed in order to give approval or rejection when it comes to the subject of divorce and, of course, following from that, the subject of remarriage. And, folks, this does not exist. 
Now, I understand that there are many scripture passages that need to be addressed above and beyond this. I'm not done yet. I've got a lot more to say. I'm just getting started, so have patience with me. But if people make conclusions, this is what I want you to see right now, that if people come to conclusions that contradict the law of God, then that means that the way that people are interpreting those verses that I have not yet spoken of, the way that people are interpreting them is wrong. The way that people are justifying their theologies is wrong. There is no error in the scriptures. There is error in the theologies. There is error in what people believe. There is error in what people are promoting or demanding. That is where the error exists. So when I speak of those verses that I have not yet spoken of, I'm going to speak of those verses from the point of view of the law of God. I am. I'm going to refer to the law because I do not believe that God will declare something that is in contradiction with something that he has already declared. There should not be a contradiction. If there is a contradiction, then I believe there is a problem with me, not with God and not with the scriptures. So these scriptures are here. I have read them. I have explained them. I have shown some of the important key points that are found here. Do not ignore them. You must see them for what they are. You must understand them because I am going to continue to refer to them when I look at those passages that people are looking at and they are declaring conclusions that are contrary to what God has already said about the subject, which tells me that their conclusions are wrong, that what they are assuming is wrong. And we need to identify that, and we also need to identify what the scriptures are saying, if that is the case, because I do believe that God gave us the scriptures so that we can have understanding, and we should know what they say and why. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,